Hello and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Christian Knapp. This is Selling the Mountains, a show about the booming mountain town real estate economy and unique personalities fueling it. Each episode is an insider's perspective on market trends, lifestyle, success stories, and the ups and downs of homeownership in the mountains. Christian Knapp is the former chief marketing officer of Aspen Skiing Company and a lifelong mountain town enthusiast. He is an accomplished marketing and sales leader who has worked for the top resorts in North America, including Aspen, Vail, Breckenridge, and Keystone. Currently, Christian is an independent consultant and principal at Moment of Truth, a boutique marketing firm specializing in brand development, strategic planning, and digital execution. All opinions expressed by Christian and podcast guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of the companies or clients they represent. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for real estate investment decisions. My guest today is Andrew Travers. Andrew is the editor of the Aspen Times Weekly and arts and culture editor for the Aspen Times. His reporting has earned awards from the Colorado Press Association, along with prize-winning Aspen Times Weekly cover stories. He has reported on local topics spanning the grand opening of the Aspen Army Sam to the Aspen Music Festival and Schools Conducting Academy. Andrew is a fan of Selling the Mountains and my previous work with the Snowboard Project. He contacted me to write a guest editorial which will appear in the May 6th issue of the Aspen Times Weekly. The article is a deep dive on the pandemic real estate supernova in Aspen and provides readers with an insider's perspective on lessons learned so far in the show. This episode flips the script with Andrew mostly interviewing me as a companion piece to the feature story. In the article, we recap highlights from the first 14 episodes of the podcast, talk about current trends driving the mountain real estate economy, and look ahead to the busy summer selling season. I hope you enjoyed this great conversation with Andrew. This episode is brought to you by Bowdoin Homes. Legendary Aspen broker and developer Bob Bowden and his team have been designing, building, and remodeling homes since 1984 under the flagship namesake Bowdoin Homes. Their design-first approach has made them one of the most successful residential developers in the Roaring Fork Valley. Bob has delivered more than 75 homes to his clients, many of which are still owned by the original purchaser today. A Bowdoin home creates a legacy in the mountains that will be cherished for generations to come. Learn more by calling 970-948-7000 or visit www.bowdoinhomes.com. Yeah, I guess I would just um, start by saying, you know, I I knew your work uh, with the Aspen Skiing Company, and uh, I uh, really admired the work that you did this winter with with the snowboard project. You know, I, I feel like that was some of the most important, you know, journalism, honestly, that that came out on the ski industry and you know in in mountain towns, just giving a global perspective on what was happening in the ski industry from those of us that you know you know, couldn't see that, you know, being uh, still very much uh, isolated in the pandemic. And as that was winding down in February, you know, I was excited to hear the episode where you announced that you were turning your turning your perceptive eyes toward the mountain town real estate boom, which is a mind boggling supernova and um, launching selling the mountains. And uh, it's been it's been fascinating to listen to since then. So I, I reached out to you in the hopes that you might be willing to look back on sort of these past you know, 14 episodes, three months, you know, on what you've learned so far and what you can do to make sense of it for, for those of us in the general public and our, our readers in the Aspen Times Weekly. Well, no, thank you. And, um, you know, I really enjoyed my work with the Snowboard Project. We covered the pandemic and resort riding and COVID times, it was called. And, you know, you know, I learned a lot uh, working with Mark Sullivan at Snowboard Project and putting together the podcast where we covered 
you know, a lot of different deep dive topics we met. We had guests on from all over the world and from, you know, representing Japan and Switzerland, uh, all over North America and Canada, and really just did a deep dive in terms of what was happening on the ground in the resort towns, different areas, regions of the country. And through that process, I really learned a lot about a podcasting, but also be about, you know, how to cover a subject and, and, uh, and really found that I enjoyed the podcast medium. It's something that, you know, I personally spend a lot of time listening to and get a lot of information from listening to various podcasts and uh, enjoyed that. And along the way, you know, I've, as I've pivoted my, my role and my career a bit, uh, I've been working more with real estate brokers and developers and others that uh, are in this space. I, I just kind of became fascinated with what I was seeing happening on the ground here in Aspen, Colorado, as you described a supernova of real estate transactions which is honestly the complete opposite of pretty much every what everyone thought would happen coming out out of covid. I mean clearly when the world shut down in March of 2020, people assumed that um, there was going to be a real estate collapse uh, akin to 2009 and the complete opposite happened. And actually it was in a real estate acceleration and you know price increasing and demand generation and uh now now we're fair state facing limited inventory and that is a, a phenomenon that's not only happening here in aspen the aspen and roaring fork valley it's happening in every mountain town and most leisure destinations of note and um you know and, and things are sort of returning to normal with the pandemic winding down a bit you know with the cities now seeing great demand for real estate as the pricing has actually adjusted a bit in the cities. But here in the mountains, there's been no price adjustments. Uh, it's only gone up. And I find it a very fascinating subject and decided to create Selling the Mountains. Yeah, I'm curious, you know, in February when you started, you know, how much how much did you know? What, what, what did you know about the scene? Or, or was it really just sort of the the general, you know, understanding that most of us have from, you know, talking to people on chairlifts and, and, and around town and, and seeing, you know, read the paper and that kind of thing. What, what was your expertise in real estate? Yeah, no, it's funny you say that because honestly, when I was thinking about this concept of, of doing a podcast about it, I was like, I talked to several brokers and friends in the area and I said, you know, would I be a credible person to do this? Because I'm not a broker. And, um, you know, and so, and they actually said that, you know, they said, yeah, I mean, you've been doing marketing all your life and, you know, you know, mountain towns and you have lots of connections. And and so it does make sense. And honestly, looking back now and, and having gone through this process, I think it's sort of an advantage because if, if I was a broker, I would be very self-interested in, in covering my listings, my story, using this as a marketing tool for myself. And so I'm not that's not my intent with the show my intent is really to create a, a forum an audio platform for you know mountain brokers to hear from other mountain brokers and create great content um, that can be shared and used as an educational tool and also share with clients and so to answer your original question though you know i i had a tertiary knowledge of real estate i've lived in mountain towns my whole career spent in many towns and you know, marketing is marketing. And one thing that really happened for me, I noticed that so many of these brokers are doing an amazing job marketing these properties, you know, 10, 20, 30, $40 million properties have their own marketing budget. They have sophisticated content creation, uh, drone shoots and stand-up videos. They're using all the social media platforms and great websites and property specific sites. And, and the developers are similar. And so it's, you know, it's kind of became fascinated by it all. And then, of course, when you dive into the numbers, it becomes even more fascinating. And 
And so by, you know, in my new world, having some clients uh, in the development, uh, construction and brokerage area, I was gaining a lot of knowledge and sort of seeing what was happening on the ground and helping them fine tune their businesses and their marketing plans and, um, and sort of started gathering my knowledge that way. And the show has really expanded my, my understanding of the market. Yeah, I, I think that that's one of the things that's, I think that perspective is valuable because uh, I think anybody who is interested or cares about mountain towns or mountain communities, you know, can, can listen basically through you as our sort of avatar, as sort of a generalist without an agenda, and just asking questions about what's most interesting about these people and how is, you know, how is this insane market operating from that perspective? I, I think it's, it's really been fascinating. This episode is brought to you by Vector Bank Colorado. Are you looking to buy a new home? Or perhaps you are planning to refinance, renovate, or build? Kerry Coleman and the team at Vector Bank can help, offering traditional mortgages, home equity loans, refinance options, and construction loans of all sizes. Vector is ready to help with your next project. A unique product to Vector Bank is the one-time closed loan, where you can simplify the building or remodeling process by combining your construction financing and permanent mortgage into one application one credit approval, and one closing process. Save time, money, and hassle by eliminating the need for reapproval at the end of your construction loan. Check them out at VectraBank.com. All loans are subject to credit approval. Terms and conditions apply. See a banker for details. Equal housing lender, NMLS, number 467014. VectraBank is a division of Zions Bank Corporation, NA, member FDIC. I'm curious what, you know, what were some of the, the big lessons that, that you sort of first took out of it in the, as, as you first started doing the project? I think the biggest one is that it's it's big business. You know, I think a lot of times in these towns, and, and certainly in my career being in ski resort and destination leisure marketing, you know, I've spent most of my time trying to convince, you know, people to come to the mountains to recreate or spend a week or a couple of days and uh, experience that. And, and that is a big driver. And obviously the ski resorts are typically the largest employer in their respective mountain community. But we all know that real estate is probably the biggest industry really, you know, driving the economy in these towns. You know, when you look at not only the transactions that are happening and the the revenue and the money generated from those transactions, but it's really that trickle down effect, right? It's it's all the different players that yeah, that derive their income from this space and you know, it's the brokers are doing the transactions, but then you've got the title companies helping them. You've got the lenders helping them. You've got a lot of lawyers get involved now. A lot of attorney, real estate attorneys in the area are working on these things. And then you move into, okay, now, you know, you've got inspections and everything that goes into that with a property transaction. And then remodeling, architecture, new builds, all the permitting process, everything that happens through the city and the, the county governance. And it's uh, it's fascinating, and the, you know, and even property managers. I mean, there's so many property managers in the valley that are managing big homes and people's investments, and um, you know, and when you have a, you know, this intense um, transaction happening, transactions happening over the last year, a lot of those folks want to do remodels. They want to do upgrades to the property, or maybe they're even doing that in preparation for the sale. So then you've got all these contractors and constructors in the valley. Um, you know, jamming right now and just can't even take on more work because there's so much work to do. And then all the trades under them and all the professionals, the architects, the designers, interior design's a big trade. 
And so really it's just, when you look at it, it's pretty amazing how many people are in these towns really making their living from, in some fashion, the real estate economy. Yeah, I mean, that's, I think that's really one of the most fascinating parts of your piece, uh, delineating that trickle down effect and that multiplier effect from, you know, I mean, it's whatever 700, you know, real estate agents and, you know, just multiply that by whatever in this whole economy uh, that's built up around, you know, luxury real estate here. Uh, I'm curious uh, about sort of what you think the long-term effect of sort of that, this current moment on the, uh, on the economy here, you know, the, maybe the transition or maybe it's already happened uh, from a tourism based economy to a real estate based economy in Aspen and other, other resort towns. Uh, you know, you probably recall, you know, so much talk here from public officials and, and others uh, in those tough years after the 2008 recession about diversifying an economy and moving away from real estate and second homes and out of that sort of boom bust cycle cycle into something you know, more sustainable and back to, you know, uh, you know, back to a more straightforward tourism based economy. Um, what, what do you think the long-term effect is of, of what's happening right now? Do you think this is here to stay? I do think it's here to stay. I think it's always been here. Let's face it. These towns are certainly tourism driven, right? And, and tourists that come and spend time in the mountains and enjoy what they, they do here, you know, come back year after year, they fall in love with these communities and they ultimately are the ones that become owners and you know, they want to own their piece of whatever mountain town is, you know, they feel most akin to. And so I think there's always going to be sort of that play between, you know, tourism and, and the real estate economy. The long-term effect, to answer your question, you know, is that with this upward pricing pressure, it's not helping some of the issues that were already there, right? Affordable housing has been an issue in mountain communities forever. And it's only getting more intense now as the price points go stratospheric in some cases, you know, and so without deed restricted housing or employee housing options, public private partnerships, those types of things, it's getting almost to a crisis level in terms of housing frontline staff. And so, you know, that we have talked in some of the episodes sort of about the loss of that ski bum, you know, and, and, in the, you know, and we, look avidly back at that, right? And we think about, you know, hey, I'm going to do a season or two and go go to move to Aspen or Jackson Hole or wherever and, um, and have my fun and enjoy it. And then I'm going to go back to the real world, quote unquote. You know, that's still happening to a degree, but I think it's, it's not happening at the same level as it was, you know? And I think the challenge of that person to make a life in the mountains and transition from a frontline you know, living in employee housing to a full-time year-round resident making a living and, and being able to acquire a property is becoming, the barriers are becoming incredibly hard. So, so the long-term effect, you know, these price increases, you know, it's, it's going to put pressure on finding good staff, but there's clearly uh, enough people out there that are willing and able to buy a home in the town they love and even if that home is is north of $10 million, uh, there seems to be enough demand, even in these price points, uh, for people to want to be in these towns. So I don't see that going away. I think, you know, the tourism and the real estate sector are always going to have to work together and they're going to co-mingle and, um, and, you know, it will ebb and flow. And real estate markets, as well as the economy, are cyclical. And just look what happened with COVID the last year. You know, the tourism economy went completely south and, you know, the restaurants were struggling 
uh, retail shops were struggling, you know, the ski companies had tough years and everything that really the tourism economy dried up. But but then on the flip side, real estate kind of filled in the gap and took over in terms of driving the local economy. Yeah. And I mean, you know, the, to the point of economic inequality, uh, you know, Aspen and I'm, I'm sure other resort towns as well, you know, have had a real late Roman empire kind of feeling, you know, during the pandemic, you know, where, you know, as you have talked about the average home price tops $11 million, you get 90 sales above 10 million, you know, at the same time, there were days where there was a line of cars for the food bank that was out of buttermilk and there was record unemployment that at one point topped 20%, you know, there, there were days where it made you queasy, I think, to, you know, to pick up the paper and see, headlines about another $20 million home sale next to stories about that kind of, you know, real hardship along with things like the, you know, the housing director resigning here because that, you know, program is failing because we are in crisis. Curious with the, you know, from your perspective and the podcast and and telling these stories, how do you think you can, can you tell that story through brokers and from their perspective? You know, I mean, so many of them started out as, the ski bums you referenced, you know, and fell in love with the town and built those relationships to be, to be so good at what they do because they knew so many t- people and, and knew the town. How do you think about sort of, you know, depicting, you know, this boom that that does have, you know, a, a real downside for a lot of folks? No, I, I completely concur, Andrew. The the income, the economic inequality in our country now is is greater than it's been in a long time, right? Since probably the, you know, the early day, you know, the early 1900s, if you will. Um, And, you know, and that's obviously seen even greater in some of these towns because, you know, there's always been great wealth in our country and and globally. But when you live in a town of, you know, 5,000 people and, you know, you're surrounded by homes that at the level that we see here and uh, other mountain towns are seeing as well, it's hard not to notice it. You know, and, um, you know, to drive by the airport and see the lineup of private jets and everything else that comes with it, you know, and then you, like you said, I think you keenly noted that, you know, at the same time last, you know, spring, there's, there's food lines and food banks and, you know, an amazing outpouring from our community to help the frontline workers who weren't able to work or restaurant workers or any, you know, anyone that that really, as things um, came to a halt and we all went into quarantine, that was a an interesting time. And yet, yeah, there's people just, you know, wanting their piece of Aspen or any mountain town and pulling the trigger to find that more space, um, to get that private, get out of the city, get out of the congestion, have that space and safety and uh, and go there. So the, inequali- the inequality is not going away. That's something that has always existed in these towns. And that's a delicate balance. And um, but it is it has been exacerbated by the pandemic. Yeah. And, and from the industry perspective, do you feel like th- this real estate boom and the way that the, the trend has gone over the last year or so, do you, do you feel like it's different in uh, in Aspen and other mountain communities? Uh, you know, is it unique versus what's happening in, you know, suburban, exurban communities elsewhere around the U.S.? You know, I don't, I don't know if it's that unique. I've been diving into some various, you know, I definitely keep an eye on all the media and, and clearly like, you know, Manhattan and other big cities uh, saw in San Francisco, particularly, have seen uh, an outward migration, and they're not all going to mountain towns <laughs> um, as much as we'd like to think. 
um, mostly they're going to you know suburban areas outside within a hundred mile radius of their current metro. And, you know, but like places like San Francisco, where the housing prices had gone so high, people are figuring out ways to leave the city to find a place to live where they can live more affordably, maybe have a a different lifestyle, maybe be close to family, work remotely. And this work from work from home, work remote, um, Zoom town kind of boom, that that is probably not going anywhere. I think coming off the pandemic, there's going to be more flexibility in people's work lives. I think employers are going to have to be flexible and there's going to be more of a hybrid approach. I mean, do I think everyone's going to work 100% from home going forward? No, I don't, you know, and so that will, it's really going to be a lot of pressure on employers to say, you know, are you going to allow your staff to be flexible or not perhaps live in the area or come into an office regularly, um, you know, and do less and more and kind of figure out how that's going to go forward. I think you're starting to see that unfold. But the reality is, you know, that people did leave, people did move to the mountains. There was a there was a boom. And it remains to be seen how long they'll stay, if they'll stay and reside here full time, or if they'll return to their their home, if you will, their metro market where they came from, um, or, or will they be spending more time in their mountain communities? Um, but I, this has been a fascinating thing to watch unfold across the country. And you are seeing now, you know, demand uh, increase in, in like New York for apartments and condos that um, are now at, at a, a little bit of a pricing discount, actually, kind of the opposite of what's happened here in the mountains, where things are uh, really uh, gone up 20, 30, 40 percent even in the last year or two. Yeah. And um, I mean, I, I guess on that front, uh, I think one of the fascinating parts of your piece is uh, just sort of breaking down what you've learned in terms of what uh, what real estate agents say about basically just how to compete in, in this in this environment um, and uh, some of the marketing pieces of it and some of the trends you've seen um, maybe I could just ask you to talk about that a little bit of you know things like you know some of the tools that something and some aren't like you know TikTok uh or you know strategies like the pocket listing i mean what are what are some of the things that agents are doing to to get the, those edges in this uh this competitive environment yeah that's that's definitely something we try to uncover in the show and you know and you know it's very much a business focused um show and so i ask a lot of questions about uh marketing techniques and what things are working for brokers so that other brokers um, and listeners and clients can really understand what um, what is working and why are they choosing to do what they do. And quite frankly, it's all over the map. You know, some of the most successful brokers that I've talked to and interviewed, the Andrew Ernemans and Craig Morris's of the world that are, you know, doing 400, 600 million uh, in annual sales, uh, respectively, don't do a lot of social media, to be honest. Um, you know, they have relied on their networks incredible networks that have been built up over years and years and years to get where they are today. And they're able to leverage those networks uh, and and get the great listings and continue to get the closings. And, you know, social media for them isn't a priority. I would say that Andrew Erneman, the top broker in Aspen, you know, he's definitely has a really great um, analytical approach and puts out a great e-newsletter and such that he and that's really how he chooses to communicate with his clients as well as producing, you know, probably the most noted market report uh, annually. So 
that's one extreme. And then you've got others that, you know, like Chris Klug is, you know, obviously a, you know, well-known personality in our community here, leveraging his background in, in athletics, sports, nonprofits to, to really hone in on his marketing and, and does a, a, an amazing job producing content and, you know, is all over social media and video. And he's very comfortable in front of the camera, really leans into that and produces regular blog content and it's impressive. It's a, it's a lot. It's a full-time job and actually has two full-time people that are working on that. Other new newer agents that I've interviewed, you know, people like a Mandy Welgos or a Brittany Rockhill are up and comers, if you will. You know, they're they're a bit younger, they're they're newer to the market, if you will. They don't come from a trained background and or an athletic background where they're able to leverage their network as much. And they've embraced technology. Somebody like a Jordy Karlinski has her own podcast. Some are dabbling in some of these new techniques, marketing techniques. And I don't think a lot are using Clubhouse at this point or spending a lot of time there. And I'm not seeing very many local brokers in the mountain communities using TikTok at this point. But man, everybody uses Instagram or not everybody, but most. That is definitely the social media du jour. And as we all know, there, you still see so many people doing a lot of advertising in the local papers in the local magazines, getting in front of people in the airports and putting out those kind of high, high touch, really highly produced traditional marketing, uh, you know, outlets. So, and, um, you know, websites are sophisticated too, you know, a home that's 20, 30, 40 million typically has its own uh, custom website, its own content. And that's another thing, you know, that I've spent a bit of time looking at too in this, in the show is content creators that are helping produce great imagery, drone photography, uh, Matterport, three-dimensional walkthroughs for properties, and, uh, and doing everything like that to help um, sell these properties. In terms of some of those uh, up-and-coming uh, agents that, that you referenced, one thing you've mentioned is talking about the, the luxury rental market and uh, what, what's been happening there from, uh, from my role as the arts editor at the Aspen Times. I've come across this a couple times in, in my world uh, about the Kardashians, you know, renting a house. I think it was for $500,000 for a week. I recently wrote a story about the rapper Young Dolph who rented a place on Ute Avenue and shot a, shot a mu music video there for a new song called Aspen, which has actually turned into a bit of a hit this spring. Uh, but I digress. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so tell me about that luxury rental market. What, what's happening in that space? And, and what is that what does that mean for the sort of up and coming brokers looking to get a foot in the door, looking to start, you know, making some moves? Yeah, no, the, the vacation rental market, the luxury vacation market is very lucrative and it's happening a lot. I mean, as there's less and less inventory to buy, brokers are in particular are, are having to pivot. There's just not as much for them to sell. So if they can get in on the luxury rental game, then there, you know, there's, there's continuous income coming through those deals. And they're complex deals. Um, these, you know, they might be, it might be a weak rental, but we're talking about you know, 50, 100, $150,000 involved in these, in a transaction for a week, depending on the type of property it is. And all the way up to half a million, uh, as you noted for the Kardashians. So that's a pretty big financial windfall for, you know, an up and coming broker and in a nice way for them to supplement their income and have a more consistent income stream. So you do see some brokers focusing more on the luxury rental side of things. And then, of course, because they have the broker's license, they develop relationships with those, those renters. And, um, and over time, those folks, you know, they are likely to become purchasers down the road. 
if they're really enjoying their stay in these towns or coming to Aspen and spending a month or you know a couple of weeks or a month or a whole summer or a season, they would be a logical client to, in the future to do a purchase. And first person they're going to pick up the phone to is the person that managed their rental and was acted as a concierge on the ground while they were here and helped them through navigate um, everything to do with their stay. And so that is a, an area where I'm seeing some, you know, some people pivot or some people focus and uh, it can be ex- incredibly lucrative, as you mentioned. It's a, it's an incredible market and, you know, just try to find a week long rental this summer in Aspen. It's going, you're going to be shocked at what you see in terms of the pricing, you know, it could be, you know, $20,000 a night or, you know, or, you know, there's probably stuff slightly more reasonable, but it's uh, it's pretty jaw dropping when you think about some of the numbers that people are spending on a rental. Tell me a bit about more about this the pocket listing phenomenon. Why is that important, and what's what's happening there? Yeah, pocket listings. You know, I didn't I didn't know the term before I started the show, and I've learned a lot about it. And you know, and really, what's happening now is so little inventory on the market. You know, people are having to dig. They're having to really find and find those next properties to get the listing. And sometimes an owner isn't isn't interested in in putting their property on the MLS immediately, and they might want to put try test the waters a bit. So they would typically find a broker or have used a broker in the past and identify that and say, "Hey, look, I'm interested in doing a pocket listing with my property," and that that does means it's not going to be on the MLS. And the broker has somewhat limited in how they can market that property, but they use their network to kind of shop the property and do showings and kind of see, feel it out and see, you know, how people react to the property. If there's any issues with the property that need to be fixed or remodeled or whatever to get, a, you know, to ensure the sale, maybe they're doing some staging and ultimately, you know, then decide, um, may, maybe even get the transaction done without ever going on the MLS and, and finding a buyer that's interested in the property and testing the price point as well and making sure that it's priced right. Because then if you do put it on the MLS, you want to make sure that, you know, that it's going to be priced appropriately for what the property is and that it's going to generate a lot of interest and it's not just going to sit on the market. And uh, ultimately, everyone wants to get the sales done quickly. You don't want the property to languish. And uh, and so the pocket listing is a way to test the waters, if you will. Yeah. I mean, does the industry discourage using that? That's a good question. I'm, I'm not sure about the answer on that one. We'd have to ask some brokers on that. Yeah. <clears throat> and I guess on that front, what are some of the things that that have surprised you over these last three months doing the show, or that you didn't know existed that uh, that, that you know shocked or surprised? Or yeah, I think you know I did. I just I guess I didn't personally realize it was as big as a business as it is, and um, you know, and I think there's incredible sophistication, you know, and and there's all different styles of brokers, and uh, and that that's you know, and somebody might want to work with a you know a certain type of broker and somebody might want to work with a couple or a partners or uh, might respond more to a female or a male broker and there's it's just really all over the map and there's and really what I've you know one of the questions that I asked I think is that is the most important question I probably ask every show is sort of what's your niche in the market and and people have carved out their niche and they found their way in that you know they might just be an up-and-coming broker just doing you know doing a couple million up to $10 million in sales annually, which in, in most markets would be a great year, you know, but here um, the upper echelon of brokers are doing north of a hundred million in a year. 
And so I think the numbers have shocked me a bit in terms of just how much real estate and, and revenue is being transacted, but also the sophistication of all these different brokers and, and their different styles and different approaches. And they're all very, very successful in their own right. You know, and I've also really enjoyed talking to developers and architects and, you know, and some of these uh, homes that people are building and, you know, with, un, with re, you know, really amazing budgets, of course, to, to execute these homes, but these homes are gorgeous, you know, and I, we've talked, you know, in the show a bit about some of those trends about, you know, multi, you know, multifamily generational dwellings with compounds, if you will, a lot of people are creating the, that kind of stuff, you know, health and wellness amenities within the home and spas and things to, you know, make sure you have your personal gym and your massage room and all these incredible, incredible amenities that people are fortunate to be able to build in a place like Aspen or Jackson or one of these high-end mountain communities. And quite frankly, these homes are outstanding. They're unbelievably amazing. And uh, it's fun to it's fun to spend time and see some of what's happening out there and, and hear from some of the folks that are helping design and build and sell these homes. Let's talk a little bit about looking ahead. What are some of your unanswered questions or what are yours, what are you interested to see play out in the coming months or year as, you know, the pandemic kind of fades and, and life goes back to something like a new normal? Yeah, I think I think you're starting to see that, you know, I, you know, we're starting to see a pretty high penetration of, of vaccinations uh, in, in our communities to the point where I think life is going to return to somewhat normal, the new normal by this summer. And you're starting to see some concerts and festivals being announced. And it sounds like food, you know, food and wine is going to happen in September and some of these big events that uh, have been missing for the last year. And People are slowly coming out of their uh, hibernation and getting out there more and spending time with friends and, and feeling more emboldened to do that now that they're vaccinated or, you know, as the, the caseload of COVID subsides. And it's really great to see that. We're very fortunate here in the U.S. that um, that we've been able to get ahead of these, you know, the vaccinations and, you know, whereas a lot of countries are still far behind us and are still um, having to be in quarantine and stuff. And so... That's a good thing. And I think by all accounts, everyone I talk to thinks that this summer is going to be off the hook busy uh, in all the mountain towns. It was very, very busy last summer. And you can only think that it's going to be busier this summer. And leisure destinations are hot. Domestic travel is still going to probably be the dominant form of travel this year because people are still going to be hesitant to go big international. You know, Maybe they'll head to Mexico or a more um, regional kind of destination. But by and large, I think people are probably going to hold off on a European trip for the, another year until things are kind of more stable. And a lot of countries have different kind of limitations on travel. So domestic travel is hot. Uh, mountain towns are going to be hot. National park travel, you're seeing just record levels of that stuff. So we're going to expect to see a massive amount of people here this summer and, and spending big chunks of time here, if not the whole summer. So that's going to continue. But the, you know, really what we're hearing is just going to be, there's going to be an inventory shortage. There's no doubt about it. Almost every broker I've talked to uh, has indicated that, you know, even some of the new builds, you know, some of the development that has been happening, a lot of that inventory has even been soaked up. So there's just really isn't a lot to transact. And, and a lot of the properties that are on the market are priced now to a point where a lot, you know, people are going to, hesitate because um, it's the top of the market and it's perceived that way. So, 
you don't want to be the person that buys at the top of the market. So I'm expecting a really, you know, big, busy summer, you know, somewhat of a slowdown in, in overall real estate transactions, but it will still be a phenomenal year. And the first quarter was very strong here. And there's going to be continue to be new development happening as well that I think will start accelerating over the next several years as we're coming out of this and there's more confidence for a you know more stable, more normal new new economy. Yeah. And I think it'll be interesting to see what that top of the market is. You know, it's it's seemed often over the last year that that there is no ceiling. <laughs> yeah. I mean it's it's wild, right? I mean, previous, you know, twenty five hundred dollars a square foot for a home, you know, plus now for a new, you know, a newish build or a really premium property, you know, some properties going north of 3000 up in, uh, you know, like a big red mountain new build would per se snowmass even, you know, which was typically, a, you know, a little more of a bargain. Now, some of those condo, the condo inventory up there and some of the new builds are hitting 2000 a square foot. And uh, a lot of the inventory that sat on the market for so long is has been soaked up and and now it's just going to be finding those next properties or, you know, and one of the other things I ask people, a lot of the brokers on the show too, is, you know, are do people look at other towns? Are they, you know, are they like, whoa, are they priced out when they see the price points of an Aspen or a Snowmass or, you know, even down Valley to some degree? But, you know, the answer is typically that, you know, they're pretty, they're pretty set. You know, they have some sort of tie. They have some affinity. They've, you know, maybe they grew up coming here and they want, they want to be here. So, you know, that may mean they have to wait or they're going to wait and hold off and pause on their transaction until they feel like maybe the market cools off a bit um, and they're able to get the property they want, but they, they're ultimately going to want to be here. And it doesn't, you know, there's, they'll look at other towns as well. And, you know, and it, it's probably goes the same in all the towns, right? You know, people that love Telluride are going to keep loving Telluride and people that have exp experienced big sky and um, up in Montana, there's been a lot of growth there too. And, People are gonna, you know, figure out how to get their slice of of Montana, and um, this this trends aren't going away. You know, there's been some dips in the Aspen snowmass market through the years, but there's never been a precipitous drop, if you will, uh, particularly in a premium destination like an Aspen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Selling the Mountains. You'll never miss an episode if you subscribe or follow the show. If you liked what you heard, please leave a short review and share it with a friend. For more information about Selling the Mountains, including feedback, suggestions, or sponsorship opportunities, please visit sellingthemountains.com and sign up for our newsletter. You can follow the show on Instagram or Facebook at Selling the Mountains. You can follow the host on Twitter at Christian Knapp or on Instagram at Napstagram. This show was produced in collaboration with Dustin H. James at Podborder. Selling the Mountains is a production of Moment of Truth, LLC. All rights reserved.